Welcome to another episode of the Work Hard, Play Hard podcast. My name is Rob Murgatroyd, and each week on the podcast, I interview the best minds on the planet in all the areas of your life, from mindset to fitness to spirituality, and of course, business. Look, we believe you deserve success in all areas of your life and not only business. But before we get into today's show, you may want to join us on our next Work Hard, Play Hard experiences. This year, we'll be going to Mykonos and Marrakesh. The goal of these experiences are to get you out of your day-to-day and to put you into experiences that will ignite your soul. So go to workhardplayhardmastermind.com, fill out an application so we can jump on a discovery call to see if we are a good fit for each other. And remember, excuses are over. It's time to live. I really think that sometimes it takes us hitting that moment where we're really just done with doing things the way we have so that we can finally change We all can get jealous or feel less than when someone's better than us. But I also think there's a choice there. And, you know, you can either choose to feel that or you can choose to see that the skill and the success of the people you're surrounded by is just more confirmation that it's possible for you. I'm the thing that's keeping me from getting what I want. And once I realized that and took responsibility for that, that's when I took all of my power back and was able to finally make changes. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Work Hard, Play Hard show. Today on the show is Lindsay Mango. What a great name that is. I'm going to say it again, Lindsay Mango. So who is Lindsay? Lindsay is in a mastermind that I'm in and I love her fresh approach to life and coaching. She's one of these people that is like, she's like ET to me. She's got this like light source inside of her that like, like, like it beams out, right? It comes out of her her heart, her eyes, like you feel it. And so I'm always attracted to people like that because I want to know like what makes them tick? How do they do it? So in this episode, we talked about a lot of things. We talked about the opposite of what you would think I would talk about with a life coach. And that's the power of getting pissed. Sometimes, sometimes you got to be pissed to make a change. And we went into detail of why that is and, and how to get really pissed. Number two, we talked about how being raised by a famous gymnast taught her so much about having the right mindset and approaching things from a growth mindset, like Carol Dweck talks about in her book, Mindset. She embodies it. We also talked about the power of delegating tasks. In other words, if somebody can do a task 70% as good as you can, then delegate the damn thing. Don't keep the bandwidth going in your head for things that's not within your zone of genius. So you're going to love this episode. We covered a lot of grounds. Uh, A lot of people reach out to me about private coaching. If you are one of those that are interested and you want to do a discovery call with me, go to workhardplayhardcoaching.com, fill out an application, and we will jump on a call. Please enjoy this episode with Lindsay mango Lindsay welcome to the show hi I'm so excited to be here 
I am so excited that you're here to do this interview. And here's why. I have so many people who listen to the show that are looking for ways that they can live a life that, you know, really excites them. And, you know, you've become such an inspiration for so many people on how to do that, that I think this is really, really going to be super useful for the people that are listening. Thank you. I am like super grateful today, actually, on my time hop. It was three years ago that I left my job and it's just the timing's so awesome and so crazy. And I feel so just honored to be someone that people look up to in that way, for sure. Well, that's what we're going to start with. I want to read something to you and I want you to give me your gut reaction to it. Cool? Mm -hmm. Three years ago today, I woke up at 4.30 in the morning to head to the gym. I know this because I did this every day before work. And I got ready like it was a regular day on my recruiting job. And then everything seemed the same, but it was completely different because this was the day that I've dreamt of for years. The day I got to walk into my boss's office, quit my job because I replaced my corporate salary with my business income. And this morning's time hop reminded me of this moment. And today, as I read it, it reminded me of so many things. Number one, that I'd never have had that moment if it weren't for an extremely uncomfortable decision I had to make. Number two, I was so grateful. I'll never forget how excited I was to just drink coffee on my own time or get to Sunday and not have the anxiety bubble up inside me and surface. And number three, this was only three years ago. So those are the highlights of a post that you put up and one that you just mentioned. When I read that story to you, what comes back to mind for you and how different does your life feel now? And then maybe you can talk about the gap in between those two points. Yeah. So what immediately comes to mind is I like I can feel the girl or the woman that wrote that post and like I just feel connected to her and so grateful for her because I know she was a version of me and I know the things that she did leading up to that moment was like the springboard to get me where I am today and I just feel like tremendously grateful that I was willing to put in so much work not only like tangible actions but also on myself to even get to that point. And then again, like thinking that I wouldn't be here, like living the life that I'm living, impacting the people that I'm impacting, potentially even married to the man that I'm married to if it wasn't for that moment and the moments leading up to it. And I just, it kind of blows me away. And I just, I can't believe it was only three years ago. And I even said that in the post, like it's so easy to get caught up and where you're at and where you're going that when I really take a step back and think like, that's not even as long as you're in college for or like in high school for, and so much has changed since then. It really just kind of blows me away. Well, you know, if you think about it, we had been talking for a while now about, you know, the idea of maybe moving to California together and, you know, starting a new life out in the West Coast. And, you know, it seemed like forever. And sometimes it seemed like it was just, you know, not happening the way Mm -hmm. we want it to. But now here we both are living in California, living out the dreams that we wanted to, that we want to dream. It's all still new to us. We just, you know, got here ourselves. Mm Mm-hmm. 
And so for people that find themselves in that situation that you were in at that time, feeling like, you know, like I'm just, I'm on this hamster wheel, man. I get, I get in my car, I drive to work. I'm in the same damn box, you know, same cubicle. I'm doing the same thing. I've got, I got something that is inside of me that I want to get out. I I know that I am made for more than this. I know Mm -hmm. there's more to my life than this, but you know, like I just, I just don't see, like, I need the paycheck, you know, I need to go to work. Like, I, like what advice do you give, you know, to that person? Because you were that person back then. Oh yeah. A hundred percent. The immediate thing that came up for me was like, get pissed. Like (laughs) it sounds so funny, but I feel like get pissed, not at yourself, but just like in a fired up way or where you're like, I am done. Like I am over this. I really think that sometimes it takes us hitting that moment where we're really just done with doing things the way we have so that we can finally change. And I think a lot of times, you know, I'm sure so many of your listeners feel that way. And I know for me, I felt that way a really long time for years. And I just kept ignoring it, you know, thinking and convincing myself that this is how life was supposed to be, that this is kind of the status quo, that I'm just, you know, kind of this crazy dreamer and this isn't realistic until I just finally was like, you know what? That's bullshit. And I see people living and having the life that I want. So I like, I kind of got pissed and I just was done with doing things the way I always had. And that is ultimately what really motivated me to finally make some of the drastic changes that I needed to make and start taking the massive action that I needed to take to get like the ball moving and finally get out of my corporate job and start really creating the life that I wanted. So you were telling yourself a different story and you were not buying into the story that you're the victim of having to work every week and have a paycheck. Um, Yes, that's true that you need that, but you also can take the time to figure out new strategies, tactics, ways to do it. And you're leveraging the emotional part of you and saying, fuck this. Like, I don't have to live this way. I can keep telling myself the same damn story that I need to check or I can get pissed and I can say, fuck this. I am going to have exactly the life I want to have. It's not going to be easy, but I'm willing to take the first step. Is that right? Hundred percent. And I think the biggest thing for me was I try I feel like I tried, like in a way, right? Our mind loves to stay safe. And I tried to kind of stay the victim and make excuses for why I couldn't do the stuff that I wanted to do until I just had that moment where I looked in the mirror and was like, This is on you. It was like this come to Jesus moment where I was like, I'm the common denominator here. I've changed jobs seven times. I've tried 50 different things. I'm the thing that's keeping me from getting what I want. And when once I realized that and took responsibility for that, that's when I took all of my power back and was able to finally make changes. You know, you strike me as a person that is just so happy, in love with life. You have a glow that is inside of you that's obvious for anybody to see. Has it always been that way for you or were there, you know, sort of darker times or is that, is that just sort of your personality? I, I kind of 
think I think it's a part of my personality. I think it's a little bit how I'm wired. I joke. I mean, I was an athlete my whole life. So I joke that I've just been addicted to endorphins and like it's just kind of stuck with me forever. And I also think it's kind of part of my programming in both a good and a bad way. And what I mean by that is I, I don't know if it was like acceptable in my household growing up to not feel like great. And I think also playing sports, I, I learned good or bad, like I said, to, you know, show up even if if I was sick, if I was feeling terrible, if I was in pain, if I was sad, if I was in a bad mood, it didn't matter. I still had to show up. And I think in a lot of ways that continued to help me fuel my like emotional intelligence and my happiness forward. And I think it's also been a part of my work to learn how to be real with my emotions and not just show up skipping around all the time, even when I don't feel like that. So I think it's twofold. I think I've been kind of wired that way. And I also think even since I was a kid, I, I just have had a relatively positive perspective on life. I mean, I had a great upbringing. I had like awesome opportunities. No, things weren't handed to me. But um, I think I just always realized that life could have been a lot worse and that I had been given a pretty good hand in life. And I just have always felt grateful and very appreciative of that. Let's dig into that um, sort of nature part of you, right? It's nature and nurture, right? So mm-hmm. let's let's dig in a little bit to that. And I want to rewind the clock and go back to Naperville, Illinois. <laughs> yeah. So your dad, Kirk, um, yeah. was a gymnast, but he wasn't like just a gymnast. He was like a famous gymnast. He was known in those parts as Lord of the Rings, right? <laughs> yeah. In what ways did your dad's intense focus as an athlete influence how he raised you? Oh my gosh. I like just got chills because I just think like I wouldn't be who I am without that. And I think in a lot of ways, it's my greatest strength. And just like anything else, sometimes it can be my weakness too. Um, But yeah, my dad is super intense super motivating. I think he's from the time I was born. I think I learned, you know, like life isn't fair. You're not a victim of your circumstances. Like you get to decide how hard you work is going to what dictates what happens. I mean, I even remember as a kid, my sister and I having anxiety about (laughs) good or bad, like if we were working hard enough, like he was like, all that I care is that you put in like your best work. And we would be like, did I? I think I did. You know, I hope I did. I'm pretty sure I did. And I just feel like that we were like just trained our whole life from his experience to be the women that we are today. You know, have you read uh, Carol Dweck's book, Mindset? I have not. I'm going to write it down now though. Yeah. It's it's an amazing book. It's a clinical book. She was a Yale professor and she did a ton of uh, studies on what makes people have the mindset that they have. And um, Mm. I won't go into, you know, a 300 page book and on this podcast, but, but I will tell you that one of the things that she, you know, you've heard the term like a growth mindset versus a fixed mindset, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's, uh, she coined that and that's what the book is on. And what you just described there is 
to the letter by definition, dictionary encyclopedia definition of a growth mindset, which is, it doesn't matter whether or not you are successful at, you know, the triple Lindy dive. What matters Mm -hmm. is that you put in the effort to get better. And it sounds like you were taught by a guy who had that drive and knew how important that was. And I think that that has served you. And I think, you know, we... (laughs) As a parent, you know, I'm 53 and I've got a five-year-old daughter and I didn't have a great upbringing. So I didn't have, you know, the blessings that you had um, Mm -hmm. as an example. And it's such a gift. I can see the difference in people who were raised by parents that did a great job and, you know, the chinks in the armor of parents that, you know, had struggles and they didn't, Mm -hmm. I mean, everybody has struggles, but you know what I mean? Um, And so it's such a great gift that you had that. And what's even more important to me is that you recognize that, you know, you, you decided to go a different route in athletics. You decided that you didn't want to do, that you didn't want to be a gymnast and you chose volleyball, but you didn't just play volleyball. Like, you know, like I'm trying to do on the beach in our little town <laughs> here, you actually were player of the year, you know, from the uh, Chicago sun times and you got a bunch of awards from, from the U S and you somehow found yourself in Russia playing volleyball. So, mm-hmm. you know, it, needless to say, you're a little bit of an overachiever. Okay. <laughs> let's just, let's just get that out of the way. What are some of the ways that you approach volleyball that may be different than how other people do it. And I'm not looking to teach people how to play volleyball. I'm looking to teach people like, like what are the, like, you know, I went out there, I'll give you a a frame before you answer this. I went out in Hermosa uh, two weeks ago and I took a class. It was like a three hour class. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I was like Baywatch, you know, like I walked, (laughs) I was, I was David Hasselhoff back in the day. You know, I had the shirt and my shorts and my sunglasses and I was, I I was Magnum, you know, remember like uh, Top Gun, whatever that guy's, I was Goose, whatever that guy was. And I was playing volleyball in my head. That's what I look like. And it was a three hour class. At the end of the first hour, my legs were jelly. I was hunched over, sucking winds. I look like an old man. And she kept, the teacher kept saying, okay, you got to like bend your knees. I'm like, I can't fucking bend it. Like they're like, they're, it's not bending. Okay. They're not, none of this is happening. And I just knew that there's a, that there's an approach, you know, there's an approach when you are learning something. So how did you approach volleyball and sort of like, how do you take that, that approach and apply it to things, you know, maybe that you don't know so well, you know, like what's the playbook for how you learn maybe is a better question. Yeah. So, um, I think the first thing I played, I didn't start playing volleyball until I was in seventh or eighth grade, which is relatively late nowadays, especially for, you know, competitive athletics. And, um, I played for a decent club when I first started, but then I, I, you know, quickly figured out who the best club was. And, um, when I got into high school, I realized, you know, where I wanted to take it. And I, I knew I had to go play for that club. 90% of the people that played at that club got college scholarships. I knew that's what I wanted. And so I, you know, put myself in the place I needed to be and surrounded by the people I needed to be surrounded by to give myself the best opportunity, the best coaching, the best training that I needed. You know, they had Olympic players that were coaches there from China and 
So I, I knew it was going to be tough. You know, it, there was always a joke. They called it, uh, it was called Spry. They called them the Sprotsies, like the Nazis, because they were so uh-huh. extreme. And I just knew that if I played there and I became and I became one of the best players there, that I like everything else would be easy. So I think, first of all, like that is the whole idea of get around people right? Who are going to challenge you and help you up level. And I think that's such a common thing in the world we're in, right? It's like, that's why we're connected. Put yourself in a room full of people who are going to help you go to the next level and challenge you and get yourself in like with coaches or mentors or people who are going to push you and who know how to bring out the best in you. So I think that was one of the things. Um, so it's interesting. So what you, what you're doing is you're putting yourself in an environment. See this this is this is something that like people just overlook this, and I, I really want to underline and highlight this. It's so easy to feel insecure, inadequate, like a failure. Like I, you know, I I went out and I did this you know volleyball thing, right? And mm-hmm. I'm obviously I'm 53, so you know there's not a whole lot of 53 year olds that are like, hey, I want to take up volleyball and go to the beach. There's uh-huh. not a lot of us, right? So I'm like 20 years older than everybody. So it very easily could I could have left there defeated, you know, feeling inadequate. But you're intentionally putting yourself in that environment because you have trained yourself that if you put yourself in that vice grip. Mm-hmm. with people that are better than you and the standards are higher that when you squeeze that orange that what's going to come out is the lessons that you need to be able to grow and get better at this is that did i get that right yeah 100% and i think from a very young age I, you know from my dad and my mom's experiences and what they taught me i think i, I just one, I was, I'm still am super competitive. So I'll see you out on the beach volleyball court. Um, <laughs> are, are you, uh, that, that was my next question. Do you, do you, are you still playing volleyball? I don't actually, I haven't played in a really long time, but um, I've been able to, you know, take that energy and put it into my life and my business, which obviously has been super helpful. But um, yeah, I miss playing for sure. But, and I felt lost for a long time when I didn't have that. But again, I, I think I was able to find that kind of in my, my business and then, you know, the, that, those kind of aspects. Um, well, that's what you did, right? You just channeled the energy into, into where you are in your life now. Yep. A hundred percent. And so I think just to like speak on, you know, being around people who are better than you, I think, you know, we're all humans and we all, you know, can get jealous or feel less than when someone's better than us. But I also think there's a choice there. And, you know, you can either choose to feel that or you can choose to see that the skill and the success of the people you're surrounded by is just more confirmation that it's possible for you and that it's that you have it within you. And when I stand in a room of more successful people and I see, hey, they teach what I teach or they like show up like I do on social media or they do whatever, like I can start to see instead of being jealous, instead of feeling bad, I can start to make the connection like, hey, this is just a matter of a couple shifts and I can be there. And so I think it's just like really trying to see that you they're mirroring back to you what's possible for you, not showing you what you're not and how you're less than. Love that. You know, Tony Robbins talks a lot about, you know, I should do this, I should do that. And he said, be careful, you know, you're going to shit all over yourself. Yeah. And <laughs> you, you had uh, mentioned something earlier that I wanted, uh, I want to circle back to. And that is that 
you said that you you did life exactly as you felt you were, let's put it in quotes, supposed to. Mm-hmm. Get good grades, scholarship, a good job. But inside of you, inside of your soul, there was something that just didn't feel right. I think a lot of people struggle with that. Can you tell me more about that portion of your story? Yeah. So I think while uh, it's funny, I'm an entrepreneur and uh, you know, kind of did life differently. I still think at the same time, I, w- I was very much a rule follower. If you can imagine, my dad was a very strict uh, um, dad. I mean, he's still around, but like in my upbringing, when he raised me as his daughter, he he just was very, you know hard on us in a good way. It served us a lot. Um, and I think in a way that trained me to just follow, you know, by the book, how, you know, society says things should be done and the rules and all of those things. And again, while it served me in, in the kind of earlier part of my life, um, there became a point in time where I just started to realize it wasn't serving me because when you're living by everybody else's rules and society's rules, you're going to create a life that's in line with that. And so when I started to see that my life wasn't what I wanted because I was following all these other rules and other people's rules, I realized that like I needed to set my own rules and my own standards and that this was a point in my life where I got to do that. Um, And it was hard. Like I said, I mean, I changed jobs a bunch of times. I tried network marketing like before my coaching business. And um, I think that all led me here. But I think it was all kind of preparing me and helping me break the rules and break the shoulds so that I eventually was strong enough to, you know, follow my own path and get here. You mentioned uh, network marketing. I think you um, you were dabbling in Beachbody. Is that right? Yep. Mm Mm-hmm. Was it for you, not for you, or because I think a lot of people who are listening to this are, you know, they're thinking about network marketing, they're in network marketing, they're confused about network marketing, and and you know, it's it, it's a common theme. So maybe you can kind of speak to that a little bit. Yeah, I actually did Beachbody twice. Like I started my business and I actually like kept my website, but I just kind of stopped and then I started again. And I think network marketing is a beautiful gift for us in this day and age. And I do think that it's the right thing for some people. And I do think it's like, if I didn't have that experience, I don't believe I'd be here today because it led me to personal development and believing that something bigger was possible. And so I think network marketing can very much be the right fit for a lot of amazing people. And I also think it can be a building block for a lot of people. And for some people, it's not the right thing. For me, I've started to build it pretty successfully. And then I realized it was out of alignment for me because what I really wanted was the end goal. And I wasn't as passionate about what I was selling. And when I found coaching and I had my own kind of transformation through that, that like I was a product of that product. And so what I would say about network marketing is I, I, if you believe wholeheartedly in it and like it's changed your life or the products or whatever you're selling is changing your life, then you're going to be gold because you're going to believe in it. And I think that was kind of the missing piece for me while I I did the programs and I drank the shakes and I did all the things. It hadn't necessarily changed my life so drastically that... I don't know. It didn't close the gap all the way on that belief. And um, so it just wasn't an alignment for me. But I do think I wouldn't be here without it. 
And I do think for so many women it, and people, it helps them build confidence too in, in doing this and either guides them down the path of being successful in that or leads them somewhere else. Yeah, I think you nailed it. I, th- I think you absolutely nailed it. There was a uh, there was a time where you sat down with a um, a life coach, and mm-hmm. that life coach uh, transformed your life into one that you have now, which is more fulfilling. Are there any particular examples or approaches that she shared with you that really, really turned your life around? Yes. Um, I think the biggest one was responsibility. Um, I think that it responsibility for yourself and every single result you're creating in your life can be a very challenging thing. And I think while I did that to a certain level, I think she really turned the mirror around on me and helped me see how I was contributing to every single result I was creating in my life. And when I realized that that's when I was really empowered to make the changes. So for example, at the time I was dating a different guy and I used to blame him for why I wasn't happy in our relationship and he didn't that do enough. son of a bitch. Yeah, yeah right? Asshole. <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> um, and I would make him responsible and then I would make like my boss and my job responsible or the fact that I just bought my own house, you know, for why I couldn't do things. And when she, you know, started to hold me responsible and look at how I was contributing and my perspective was contributing to the result I was creating, then it felt like, oh my gosh, how do I change how I'm approaching this? And I was able to get... This is what I tell people a lot. Like in three months, my tangible results like hadn't changed that much. Like I was in the same house. I was in the same job. I was with the same guy. But my perspective had changed so drastically that the how I was feeling about those things had completely changed. And I think that's more magical than changing your circumstances and feeling better versus changing your perspective and creating different results. And that's what she really taught me. And then that gave me the power to literally create any result I wanted in my life. Yeah, it's so powerful. People are trying to change houses and cars and locations and blah, 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 but they're not doing the internal work. And when you do the internal work, it doesn't matter where you are, what you're doing. You're just, you're just a different person and you're happier. You know, you may not have a big pile of money to look at or, you know, a shiny new car at that moment, but the peace that you have inside of you is, is worth it. But from that point, you moved on and you went into coaching yourself. And in fact, you've built um, a million dollar business and you're working four days a week and you've got your life very differently dialed in than you did with what we opened uh, reading your post at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about how you have um, set up your containers? We'll use a Chris Harder word, right? How you've set up your containers that allow you to live a life that makes you really, really happy and maybe sort of talk about some of your non-negotiables now. Like, you know, I've adopted a non-negotiable of not doing anything before noon so I can clear my head. You know what? Talk to me a little bit about your containers and talk to me about some non-negotiables. Yeah. So first I will start by saying I'm almost at a million dollars. <laughs> Just to Just be clear. Yeah. Really, really close. close. So I... I think one of the biggest things is, like you said, with the containers, like protecting my 
time like ferociously. So I actually, this is a great example. I, I got out of my job and I still woke up at 4.30 in the morning when I was like free and could do whatever I wanted. And I, I still found myself not protecting you know the boundaries and the things I really wanted. And it was like, I left my job and I kind of felt like I was in the same position. And I was like, well, take the same brain, put it in a new situation. It creates the same problem. And I knew that was kind of my next level of work. So I realized that if I wanted to feel free and happy and prioritize like things other than my work that was important to me like I had to start doing it back then not once I you know made more money or anything like that so for me I I have my schedule blocked from you know 6:30 a.m. to 11 I don't start working until 11 and I also keep my phone out of my bedroom so it is sits in my office so it's kind of like I don't touch my phone once I go to bed and then it's not the first thing I see when I wake up in the morning and so that's been really really powerful and that boundary has been really important for me and then I I work on being super effective in the containers that I create, right? So I have, you know, coaching calls back to back and I've got, you know, time slotted out for recreating content and writing and, you know, posting on social media and things like that. And I, I just have ferociously protected that time and honored that commitment because I know it's not the... Um, this is where most people get it wrong. They think it's the amount of time they have that creates the results. It's not that at all. It's how effective you are in the time that you're using. And I'm like, if I can be effective in the time that I'm setting aside for these tasks, and learn how to create results in minimal time, like then when I can get the result that I want and have the life that I want. So I think like that's a huge piece of it. And then I, I really follow my calendar. So like Fridays often I have blocked off with nothing on them. And I, you know, somebody will say, Hey, I can we set up a call or can we do this? And I'll do podcasts like this, of course, on Fridays sometimes, but like anything like working client related, I, I never look at Friday as an option, right? Or the Saturday or Sunday as an option to put them on my calendar. It's literally like, hey, no, you know, Friday is not available. I can do Monday. Um, and so when I started for me seeing that that time, even though it's for me, even though it's for my family and my life, is, and it doesn't necessarily, like the calendar is totally blank. That doesn't mean that there, like something can be scheduled there. It means that it's there for a reason and it's for me. And if I'm using that time the way that I want to, then everything else is going to be fueled forward in a much more powerful way. Yeah, I also think that you know, leaving space open. This is this is a conversation I had with our mutual friend Chris Harder, mm -hmm. where he, you know, he blocked up every hour of his day, and mm -hmm. um, you know, somebody said to him, you know, you got to leave room for the magic. Like if you don't have any, if you don't have any downspace, any downtime, whether it's a day, a week, or it's even a couple of, you know, maybe 30 minutes in between calls or something like that, you're just not leaving enough time for the magic. So I love the fact that you're leaving your Fridays, you know, listen, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Like what a beautiful way to come back to a Monday with, you know, 72 hours off for you to, mm -hmm. you know, get out of the picture to sort of look at the clarity when you step back into the picture, we look at the picture with much more clarity when you step back in. So, you know, I love that you are, you mentioned uh, social media, you're, 
you're really, really doing an amazing job on Instagram uh, to build and scale your business. Is there um, a playbook on how you do that for people that, you know, find themselves that, you know, okay, well, look, you know, social media is the place and, you know, I'm trying to figure it out and I see, you know, Lindsay and she's got these beautiful photos and all these people that follow her, you know, I want to learn how to do that. Is there some do's and don'ts that you've learned in that world? Yeah. So I think one of the biggest things is have fun with it. I think people get so sucked into, you know, like this has to work and I've got to get clients and I've got to do all this stuff with it and get it right that they suck all the fun out of that. And people can feel that they can smell your energy from a mile away. And so I think one of the biggest things when it comes to social media for me and why it works so well is that I like work really hard to enjoy it or like lack thereof work really hard, I guess, and have fun with it. And I think one of the biggest things, especially early on, right? Because I was actually just coaching a client on this. You know, she's like, I don't live in California and my life isn't just this like beautiful, amazing life where there's anything, anytime, anywhere I can take an awesome photo. How do I, you know, build a brand like that? And I literally took a screenshot of my old Instagram, you know, like two years ago and was like, here's what this looked like before. And what I think has been important and a constant, even though my life looks a lot more, you know, like, um, romanticized. Yeah. And prettier and more amazing today is that I always worked really hard to make it what I wanted it and appealing for me. So like I always tell people, if freedom's important to you and you're still working at a job, Go exercise your freedom in different ways. It's immediately going to give you content to put up because you're still being an example. So make sure that you're not, quote unquote, everybody says like, let me wait until I live in California and have this beautiful life to start showing up that powerfully. You will always be waiting. You have to start creating the experience that you want to have right now in your life. No matter how like un... like not beautiful it is, there are always ways to make it beautiful. And I think the other piece for me, and I, I think everybody can be a little bit different when it comes to this, but I always ask myself, my social media is a brand. I'm building a brand. I am my brand. And I would always ask myself, would Nike post this? Something like this? A photo like this. Sometimes I see people, you know, just to you know throw something out on social media, they'll take a picture of their dinner and it looks like dog food on their plate. You know, like I ask myself, like, is this appealing? Is this something that I would scroll by and be like, ooh, I'm curious about this and I want to read more? So I, I just think it, it I think some people thrive off being super like authentic and having really real photos. And I think I have a combination of the two because that's what's in alignment for me. But I, I really think you have to ask yourself, like, what experience do I want people to have when they come to my page? How do I want to experience it? And how can I kind of romanticize my current reality? I love that. And I've seen the dog food pictures and I don't <laughs> know why everybody is obsessed with taking food pictures. It's a weird... Like unless, unless you're like a food magazine and you like have it set up, you know, where you're paint brushing a muffin, you know, with <laughs> olive oil to make it yeah. like, don't just stop with the food pictures. I get it. Um, I want to talk about your zone of genius. What is, I know that it's important to you to stay within your zone of genius. Mm -hmm. What is your zone of genius and what systems do you have set up to delegate things that are not in your zone of genius? I would say my zone of genius is coaching. 
like being on the phone with my clients, doing my social media. And I think the biggest thing that it all comes back to is I feel like I believe in possibility in a way that makes it simple and accessible for people. And so when I think about that and I think about all the ways that I can do that, like I said, that's coaching my clients, that's showing up on social media and sharing my life, it's podcasting, you know, all the things where I'm kind of, to me, creating is, is like art and creating content and all of that is a part of that. And I think sometimes I've had to learn the hard way, right? Like not staying in that, shifting that and, and trying to do other things and realizing later on that that's not really what was in alignment or what I wanted. So I think the first thing is sometimes you do it wrong. And sometimes I've done it wrong, right? It like it, I feel like sometimes we want to remove the failure or the, the missteps out of this. And I think sometimes they're required. And, and I think doing that can help you realize like, how can I stay in my zone of genius even more? Because this doesn't work when I'm not. I think the other thing is, I'm very good at delegating. I'm kind of, I know we're in mutual group with Chris Harder. I think he's very much like that where he's like, can just throw tasks and not even think about them to his team and other people. I'm very much like that as well. I'm really not super attached to things being done perfectly or um, even necessarily right the first time because I know what what's driving all of it is me and my belief behind it. And so even if my webpage isn't perfect or my whatever, something somebody else is creating isn't quite perfect, that if I have belief behind it and I'm driving it, like that's what matters more and we can always readjust later on. So I think that also really helps me hand things off and not even think about them again. Um, I think the other thing is realize that the reason why I'm paying people money to you know help me stay in my zone of genius and hiring people and having a team is so that I don't have to think about it. Like it's not actually actually the task that takes as much time as the thinking about the task. And if you're still thinking and worrying while someone else is doing the job for you, then like there's no point. You might as well not even pay them. So I think from that perspective, I even if I do worry or think about it, I'll say, okay, I can handle that when I have a discussion with them. I'm gonna let them try it and see if they can nail it and we can have that discussion and I can always tell them what they're doing wrong. So I think that's the other piece is really letting go of the control of that and realizing, I think a lot of times people get really caught up in the perfection or the details of the stuff that they hand off to their team because they think that's going to make or break them. Yeah, I think I agree with you. And there's there's two things that, I, that, I, that I'll add to that for people that are listening who are struggling with this, that I've actually quantified it. And I say, if somebody else can do it 70% as good as me, that's good enough. So, mm-hmm. you know, so I've actually put like a metric on it so I don't Love get that. confused about it. And then I want to highlight what you mentioned about the bandwidth portion of it, which is if you're consumed with mental thought of doing the particular task, then that is that is mental bandwidth that you can't be using for other things. Mm-hmm. And we only have so much creativity. There's a great book by Daniel Pink um, called When, and it's, you know, the different circadian rhythms that we go through throughout the day. And, Mm. you know, we, for most people, we, you know, are the most creative in in the mornings. Mm -hmm. We've got it like a three or a four hour window. And if you blow that window by doing bullshit tasks that are unrelated to your zone of genius, then you've spent that bandwidth and, you know, you got to, you you're just not going to get that creative muscle that you need. So I love I love the fact that you're willing to delegate. A lot of people struggle with that, and I I don't I I never have. I am yeah. really happy giving it to somebody else. So I love that. 
We're going to shift into the second part of the show, which is to talk about maybe some things that you're doing that will, uh, that are adding fulfillment, uh, to your life. So mm-hmm. do you have any tips or best practices that could help people uplevel their tribe? So I think the biggest thing is, and we talked about this a little bit before earlier, is challenging yourself to get in the room with people who are at a higher level. And so that might, for me, that looks like joining masterminds and being in like mentors spaces so that I can be around people who I admire and look up to. Um, And I think the biggest thing with that is not being afraid to like ask to get in those circles or to like meet somebody for coffee. I think so often I'm like talking to some of my clients about, you know, networking and building relationships with people so that they can build a tribe. And they're like, well, what do I do? And what what do I say? And I'm like, be a human, be yourself, right? Like come from a loving place and ask to go get coffee with somebody that you admire. They might say no, and that's okay, but it's going to get you one step closer to your tribe and to the people that you do want to meet up with. Or they might invite you to come along. Like I've, I mean, even with where I'm at moving to California, I'm sure like for you too, it's, I don't have like my, you know, friends that I've had for 10 years surrounding me. So I've, I've had to work on asking people to go to coffee and doing different things so that I can continue to be in the energy I want to be in and be surrounded by the people that I want to be around. Yeah. You know, it's a double-edged sword. On the one hand, I don't have those, you know, those people around me like I used to have. And so I have an opportunity to build a brand new tribe. And then on the other hand, you, you got to do the work. You have to be willing to say, Hey, let's, let's go grab some coffee. You know, would you be open to it? And that, you know, one, you know, like once you do it, like I did a dinner uh, the other night with um, about four or five uh, people Mm-hmm. Um, that I didn't know. And, uh, you know, in the beginning, it's like, oh, do I really want to do this? And I don't know these people. What are we going to talk about? And do we have that much in common? And, but, you know, like if you want to grow, you, you got to do the work. Mm-hmm. You got to make the phone call. You got to go out to the dinner that you don't want to do if you really want to up level your tribe. So I love, I love that. Is there a, a new behavior or a belief in the, past few months or years that has significantly improved the quality of your life? I would say the biggest thing is like unwiring the belief that I have to work harder and do more to be more successful and changing that to when I have fun and when I enjoy my life, I create more success. It's really good. That's really good, and that one is really tough. I just did a, uh, I just did a podcast with uh, Alyssa Nobriga. Is that her first mm-hmm. name? Yes. Yeah. And uh, she said something really similar to that, where you know we were talking about beliefs, and she said one of the beliefs I've had to overcome is that it has to be hard to make money. And it's so easy for us to think oh, we got to grind and grind and grind. That's the only way to do it, but it doesn't always have to be so hard. So I love that. Yeah, a hundred percent. I think it's, I mean, I think it's something that most successful people have to overcome because think about it, our whole lives we've been told probably like if you're in a like middle-class family that it's hard and it's challenging and that it has to look this way. So money doesn't grow on trees. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. What is the one goal that you thought, you know, when I achieve this thing, my life is going to be perfect. If I just get this thing and then you got it. And you were like, eh, that just didn't really do what I thought it was going to do. Does anything come to mind for you there? 
Totally. Um, other, I, than that, other than marrying your husband. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, just, I'm, um, just fuck, I'm just fucking with you. Well, I think I think it's all like kind of a whole thing. Like I I've ha- I had a moment where I mean we live in this beautiful home two blocks from the beach in California. I got married this like two months or not even a month and a half ago. Um, my business is thriving and growing. So I think like all combined, when I really take a step back and look at it, I'm like, whoa, this is everything I wanted three years ago, and. There were moments that I still found myself like not feeling happy or fulfilled because of that framework of like this tangible thing is going to make me happy or I have to wait until I have all of these things in place to be happy. And it kind of smacked me in the face that like this is always an inside job. Like no matter how big you go, no matter what like life goals and boxes you like check off, if you are not doing your work and creating your happy where you are, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you have the perfect marriage and husband and the beautiful house and live in California and do all the things, it still is your work. And so I think for me, like kind of having all of those things slide into place all at once, um, I was like... I had a rough day where I was like, whoa, wait a minute. I thought getting here would like t- accomplishing all of these things would make me happy. And it's still my job, not the job of all these circumstances. Yeah, it's, it's such a true thing. You know, one of the things that I struggle with along the same lines is I don't know if I could put this into words, but it's almost like I feel like if I'm just happy, that it'll all disappear. <laughs> You know oh I mean? my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> like if I'm just going to enjoy the ocean and the volleyball that I get to live right now, that it's going to just, it's all going to go away because I'm not going to be working hard and I'm just going to like, I'm just like, they're going to take my house, my children. Do you know what I mean? Like <laughs> totally. it is this weird fucked up thing that's in my head that, you know, do, do you struggle with that ever? Yeah, I think mine is like a variation of that. I think I'm letting myself off the hook. So because of my upbringing and being coached by coaches in a way where I'm getting yelled at and my position could be taken by one bad game, I think in a way I've always been motivated by that like pressure and like challenge. And so I, I my brain has wanted to put that into my current reality and say like, you're letting yourself off the hook. Like if you're just enjoying this, you're going to let yourself off the hook and same as you, like it's, it's going to go away and you're not going to keep pushing yourself unless it's coming from this place. Um, and I yeah, think- You'll lose the motivation and the drive yep. and become complacent. That's the word. Yes, exactly. Oh, 100%. I think it's one of the biggest thing that the blocks humans in general, but also like highly successful people from reaching new heights or enjoying their lives. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to ask you some random questions as we wrap. If you okay. could spend one month any anywhere in the world, where would it be and why? I feel like this sounds so cliche to say, but I feel like there's two spots. I would say Bali. Um, one, because... or mostly because it seems so peaceful. And I think that's what I need in my life to kind of balance me out. I'm a little intense sometimes. And then I think also Italy. I, I know you've been there a lot. Uh, I'm My family's... That's where my heritage is. So um, I've never been and I would love to go and see it. Oh, well, 
we're going to change that. <laughs> okay. We're going to fix that. I'm actually applying for Italian citizenship now. Really? Oh my gosh, mm-hmm. that's awesome. Yeah, I'm going to get uh, dual citizenship. So um, cool. Which uh, if anybody listening wants to know how that's done, I can help you with that. If you could go to only one restaurant before you die, where would your last meal be? Uchi in Austin, Texas. It is a sushi place. How do you spell it? U-C-H-I. They actually have one in Denver now, but my original meal in Austin where it, like, it first started was the best one I've ever had. You know, I asked this question of all the guests and it's the weirdest thing. It's the question where like, I will get somebody in Austin. I'll be like, she's right. It's awesome. <laughs> oh, I've, I like, I'm, I feel like you probably have listeners everywhere. So someone has to know about all of these awesome restaurants. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I've never been to Austin, Texas. Everybody loves it. I have to go. Yeah. It's really cool. What is the one thing that's rocking your world right now, other than your husband and your business coaching? I would say being able to walk to the beach and walk to all the little shops. Like that sounds so simple, but I, I think like no. living living in a place where I can literally walk two blocks and be at a juicery or be at like a fine dining restaurant or have my sa- my feet in the sand, just like kind of blows my mind on a daily basis. That is a perfect, amazing freaking answer. I love that. With every new level comes a new devil. What are you currently struggling with? I would say my biggest thing is kind of what we talked about, like believing that it has to be hard at this next level and believing that um, I have to grind it out and work more and work harder and kind of un wiring that and changing it to that idea. Like it gets to be fun. It gets to be enjoyable. I could actually work less and hit those goals. Um, and I've got coaches because I, it shows up when I least expect it or I, I'm like living it out unconsciously without realizing it. Yep. I, you know, the more we talk about this, the more that limiting belief starts to not uh, have its power or its claws in us. So I love it. Um, okay, rapid fire round and we're going to wrap it up. Answer as quickly or as slowly as you like. Okay. What would your friends say is one of your superpowers? Uh, believing in the impossible. What's one of the things you're afraid of now? Staying stuck in the same spot over and over again. What keeps you up at night? Deciding where we're going to go next. Like we we miss our family a little bit from back home. We're here in Cal- beautiful California. So I think just like making that decision and thinking more long-term. About, about like it. either staying here or going back home? Yeah. We've talked about, you know, building there and here eventually so that we can have places in both and be near family. I mean, eventually we want to have kids, which sometimes I'm like, whoa, what? I'm old enough for that, even though I'm about to be 31, which I'm totally old enough for that. Um, (laughs) But just thinking about like how we want that to look and um, where where we want that to be. Interesting. Interesting. What do people never ask you, but you wish they did? I would say how to change their mindset to get what they want. Obviously, that's what I teach. But I think oftentimes we we like to focus on the tangibles, right? Like, how do I do this? Or what do I need to be doing? Whereas, you know, the real question is, how do I need to be thinking about it? And so I, I would love if people really addressed like that more often. Mm-hmm. What book have you reread or re-listened to the most? 
The Universe Has Your Back by Gabby Bernstein. Oh, yeah, I never read that. I need to. I always, I always think of it as a checkbook, but maybe I'm being chauvinistic and I shouldn't. <laughs> you know, I, I could see why, um, but I have to say, I think I had generally have a more masculine energy, like driving kind of intense behavior. And I think that's why that book is so important to me. And I think man or women, woman, I think men often are that way too. And I think it's such a... It's, it's kind of the opposite of what we think we want and need that helps us trust and like show up more fluid and enjoy life a little bit more. And I think well, that's... Well, listen, that- if, you have a, if you have a masculine energy, I'm switching teams. Tell your husband. <laughs> I love <laughs> <What>? it. <laughs> Just joking. What is your guilty pleasure? I would say singing or dancing. Really? Yes. Um, when I was a kid, I used to want to be a singer and... I just like to dance and go out with friends sometimes. That's amazing. I can't do either. That's cool. (laughs) What's one thing that you own and probably should throw out, but you never will? (laughs) My my last laptop. (laughs) I don't know what to do with it and it's got so much stuff on it. (laughs) That's a beautiful beautiful answer. And the last question, we're going to change things up a little bit. What one question would you like to ask me? What was the moment that made you go, I'm not doing this anymore. I've got to change everything. I was in my kitchen with Kim. It was around June of last year. I had been spending the last three to five years telling myself the story of why I can't get out of my chiropractic practice and relocate my family to California. And she looked at me and she said, how many more years are you going to tell that story? And I remember I wanted to choke her (laughs) and she was right. And I said, in that moment, fuck it. December 31st, it's over. If I don't sell the practice, I'm putting a sign on the door that says gone fishing. I am going to this afternoon, tell my staff that we're only going to be open for six more months. I don't know if I'm going to sell it. I don't know if I'm going to close it, but I want to be honest with you. And if you need to leave and go find a new job, I understand that, but I will do the best I can to support you. And in whatever decision happens, I started letting my patients know And then we spent the next six months figuring out how to unwind everything that was in Atlanta, which included making a list of everything from um, who might want to buy the practice to what do I do with, you know, all of this shit and your husband, you know, taught me that there's something called a pod and we could put it in a pod and we can move the pod to California. Uh (laughs) And so it was everything from the minutia of that to all of the big things, but it was literally, you know, somebody asked me, you know, like how long it took for me to make the move from having a career as a chiropractor to living in California, doing what I'm doing now full time. Mm -hmm. And the answer honestly was a moment. And it was the moment that you just asked me about where I made the decision to say, that's it, no more, not another day. And it's starting now and stick to it. And stick yeah. to it. And so I put myself on the line by letting everybody know around me that I'm gone. December 31st, it's over. And we stuck to it. It was literally that week where I shut the practice down. 
So good. I love that because I think a lot of times people think decisions take years, but they really do take a moment. It's the drama about them that takes years. Well, 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 Miss Mango. That was freaking awesome. That was a ride. I loved it. I hope you did too. Do you have any final words, suggestions, or an ask for the people that are listening? Oh my gosh. I am just tremendously grateful to be here and talk to you, Rob, and just get to share my experience with your audience. And yeah, just come follow me on Instagram. That's where I like to hang. And um, Rob, we have to go get dinner. You guys have to come over and hang out. <laughs> Can you believe this? We're across the street. We haven't done it yet. Right? It's insane. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to make it, we're gonna make it happen as a goal before the end of this year. So Perfect. Lindsay, thank it. you so much. I will link everything up in the show notes, um, your, your website and your Instagram, et cetera. Awesome. Thank you. You're welcome. All right. Thanks for listening. If you love this episode and you know someone that needs some help in either stepping up their work hard game or their play hard game, it would mean the world to me if you shared this podcast with them to help me get this movement out there. So if you like what you heard, head on over to iTunes, take 30 seconds and leave me a five-star review and I will be forever grateful. So until the next episode, excuses are over. It's time to live. 